Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What's up, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Believe in Falcons. I'm your host, Will McFadden. We've got a great show today. Trevor Sikama from Pro Football Focus uh, is my guest, and we just dive into the draft. We really cover um, a lot of the main questions. So for that reason, and because um, on you know your yesterday, if you're listening to this on Monday when it is released, my today is Sunday and the final round at the Masters. So I want to get out of here and, and get back to watching Cameron Smith take on Scotty Scheffler. Um, so I don't know who wins yet. Don't tell me. You can't. This is a one-way medium. But we're going to, uh, to get into Trevor um, a little bit quicker than usual. Uh, so first, let's hear from today's sponsor. Then we will get to a quick cold open and then my interview with Trevor. Our partners at BetOnline continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Keep track of all of the latest sports developments, including NBA playoff odds, fighting bets, and even next season's futures. And don't forget, guys, Major League Baseball is back as well. Go Braves. So who are you picking to win the World Series? BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering needs, including live betting in your favorite Vegas casino and poker games. It's super easy to get started, so head to the website today or use your mobile device to join and use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Remember, guys, bet online, where the game starts. All right, so an- another reason <laughs> today's cold open um, is going to be a little bit brief. Frankly, there's just not that much more to talk about. Um, Trevor and I covered a lot of the draft stuff, so I, I don't really want to uh, spoil any of that right now. I will share a couple of things, though. In doing a lot of my reading, uh, talking to a lot of people uh, about what the Falcons could do, it really seems like all options are on the table, which on the one hand means absolutely nothing. It's just a thing that, that we say. But on the other hand, if there is one team where that does apply, it probably is Atlanta. There are holes everywhere on this roster outside of cornerback, which Michael Rothstein, who was on the podcast recently, wrote a uh, good piece over at ESPN about Casey Hayward joining AJ Terrell and how this now may be their best position group, which makes a pretty good argument for that. So go check that out. But yeah, everywhere on this roster, you could make the argument that the Falcons could use an upgrade. (laughs) But really, it's it seems like it's coming down to wide receiver and edge rusher. Uh, obviously, quarterback is a little bit in a separate category. Um, so we'll we'll get on that. Trevor and I talk a, a good bit about quarterbacks, so I'm not going to touch that on that here. But wide receiver, clear, clear need, right? Calvin Ridley suspended for the entirety of the year. Who knows if he will you know, continue to play for the Falcons after that? Probably would make sense on that, that last fifth-year option uh, because now it's not fully guaranteed. And, you know, the Falcons do still need a player of Calvin Ridley's caliber at wide receiver because we're finding out not a lot of great options. Yes, I know that they have signed players like Demir Bird uh, on Tate in free agency. Those those are good, but those are those are specialty guys kind of to have to add depth and fill out your receiving room. They can do things very well, but they're not your full go to X receiver who can just do a lot of things. 
So I think that a lot of people, partially because where the Falcons are drafting at number eight, that is seems like the sweet spot a lot of people have decided where the receivers should probably start coming off of the board. Maybe a couple of picks after that around 10. But as I've mentioned on the podcast before, really, it's it's Garrett Wilson, it's Chris Olave, it's Drake London, it's Jameson Williams. And, and for some people, Traylon Burks is in there. And really anywhere from probably eight to I mean, for the rest of the first round, because there are a lot of teams in the late 20s that would love to uh, to take a wide receiver. Um, but the Falcons could be the team that takes the first one. And the reason normally that would be an awesome thing. Last year, I really, really late in the draft period kind of thought Jamar Chase could be the Falcons pick, even though Kyle Pitts makes sense for all the reasons that we've discussed here and, and beyond. But Jamar Chase, I, I was thinking, all right, Julio's gone. Uh, Calvin's better suited to be that Z receiver. Do they go young again at this position, draft that player? So it it kind of made sense to me late in that process. And I, I think the Falcons, I saw a redraft the other day, actually, where they had Jamar Chase going to Atlanta. Um, but none of these players, I think, are in that specific category. You know, there's not a Julio in this. There's not even an AJ Green. Um, that's not to say that these guys won't become very good players because the floor of play for wide receivers way, way higher than it used to be. Uh, these guys are all coming into the league with so many reps from seven on seven passing drills all the way to, you know, down to youth football camps, starting that young, getting all of this constant work in the summer, everything. I mean, we are seeing wide receivers come into the league already with master's degrees at the position. So it, it makes sense then to take a wide receiver like it's a pretty safe position, I think, to bet on especially early in the draft, but there's just not, I think, a game changer in the most elite sense like there have been in a couple of these recent drafts. I don't know if there's a DeAndre Hopkins, but there could very well be a Justin Jefferson. And I think Justin Jefferson is an awesome player. I mean, I would love to have him on, on the Falcons. So if, if they feel like drafting somebody like that is, is worth it, by all means, then if they want to take Garrett Wilson at eight, Drake London at eight, any of those guys that I mentioned, that's fine I, because I understand what they're trying to do. Um, and they it is a clear need for as much as they say they're going to take best player available, stay away from need. If they did that, it fills a big, big, big need. And it's, you know, with a good player, I like all of those receivers a lot. But edge rusher, and I've been kind of, this has been where my head has been at the entire time. Once the offseason started, I was just looking at it and thinking, yeah, the Falcons are last in sacks again uh, by a by a big margin. And I don't think Lorenzo Carter is coming in and single handedly fixing all of that. I like Lorenzo Carter as a player. That's not a slight to him. It's just the Falcons have really been trying to put a bandaid over a, an amputated leg for a while. And again, I like I kind of like where the edge rusher lines up relative to where the Falcons are picking now before Trayvon Walker just started flying up draft boards and, and now honestly legitimate conversations about him possibly going number two overall. I thought he would have made, you know, a lot of sense kind of where Atlanta was. I think, you know, and Trevor and I will get into this during the, uh, the interview. He brings up Jermaine Johnson and makes a very, very compelling case for him. I need to go back and, and turn on that tape again. I have already watched, you know, four of his games or so. I like him as a player. He just, he didn't jump out to me, uh, on on film he looked like a good solid prospect with 
you know, certainly upside to develop into an impact player at the next level, but not as far along and not necessarily even uh, having the traits that, you know, would leap out like Trayvon Walker. The production wasn't always there, but you understand why he just looks like he would be a man amongst boys in the NFL. So that's why teams are kind of falling all over themselves for him right now. Jermaine Johnson kind of looks like a, a great in that Julius Peppers mold of, of edge rusher, long lean, all that stuff. But it, it, you know, Trevor will, will say it better, but he packs a big punch. And that's, I guess the part of his game that I was missing the first time around. I was looking for more of a bendy kind of speed guy around the corner. And it seems like maybe that's not his game. So I, I need to go back and reevaluate that. But that would make sense to me, you know, at, at eight, if that's where the Falcons think that he's going to go, if somebody like Kevin Thibodeau slips and they feel like his talent, you know, he should have been a top three pick. And, and here he is at eight. Thank you very much. But I, I think, and again, they don't, the Falcons have said they aren't, you know, need is not the entire thing that they're looking at. But there are two clear needs for the Falcons among among all the others. But wide receiver and edge rusher, edge rusher's always been there. Wide receiver has become a, a little bit of a crisis position for this team. And I'm going to, I think I'm going to like some of the options that are available there at eight. And so the more that, that we're kind of diving into this and it's draft month, it's here guys. When the Masters wraps up today, March Madness is over. Sure. Baseball just started. Go Braves. But the draft is going to dominate, you know, a lot of this stuff. So we're going to have more people coming on. Uh, to to really break down the draft like Trevor did. Uh, so buckle up. It's going to be a lot of draft conversations over the next, you know, 25 days or so. As we sit here now, I have a hard time thinking it will be anybody other than a wide receiver or I'm going to say a defensive lineman slash edge rusher because I, I, I'm i still holding out hope for Jordan Davis there at, at eight. He just fits the, the bill. It, I don't know how many truly, truly elite players are in this draft. I think Jordan Davis is at least a truly, truly elite run defender. And so I'm willing to take that in, in this draft where, you know, it doesn't seem like we're going to have the number of true impact players coming out of this class as maybe some others. I think Jordan Davis will at least have a very long career being very good in one area of the game with great upside and potential in another more important area of the game. So that's why I'm going to include this to say edge rusher, slash defensive line and wide receiver. That's kind of where my head is at right now um, on April 10th with less than a month to go. But that's kind of the tea, tea leaves. Uh, and, and that just, it makes sense. It makes sense for all the reasons I just explained. So I'm going to cut myself short here and let's get to Trevor because he is much more knowledgeable at all of this stuff than I am. And you guys deserve to hear straight from the source. So let's get into it with Pro Football Focus's Trevor Sikama. Trevor Sikama joins me now. Um, you know, Pro Football Focus, Trev, I, I, don't, I don't know what exactly you are doing over there, only to say that you're doing a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it's very true. It's very true. Uh, no, they got me doing everything, man. Hosting live shows, writing feature articles, writing draft content, hosting podcasts. But this is what we live to do, man. So I'm, I'm very glad to do it all. But it does make podcast intros particularly difficult for hosts of shows <laughs> that I go on. So I do feel bad for you in that regard. Well, you know, hopefully I'm handling it uh, well so far. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're, what, 30 seconds in? I haven't crashed and burned yet. Um, but I do want to say, I don't think you get enough credit. Your your Twitter handle is is at Tampa Bay Trey. Um, you know, really, I think the fraud Tom Brady 
uh, is stealing credit from you for trying to to name brand the the city. Nobody nobody out here knows that you were doing it first. I mean, do you harbor any ill will towards Tom Brady for that? Uh, he brought the city championship, so no, I shut my <laughs> mouth honestly. But uh, it is funny because obviously that is my my Twitter handle, and uh, I no longer live in Tampa anymore. I used to cover the Buccaneers for Pewter Ports. So that I did that full time for uh, three or four seasons. Then I moved from Tampa, which is I'm I'm from just south of Tampa. That's where I grew up. And the the month after I moved, they signed Tom Brady, and obviously that means the <laughs> year after I left, they won a championship. So it's 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 funny. Everybody talked about me as the curse, and I can never come back to Tampa. <laughs> but you know, we're keeping the Twitter handle. We're keeping it. I'm not giving that up. As you should. And you know, I I started working for the Falcons uh, the summer of 2017. So. Uh, you could you could say maybe it's a blessing that I didn't have to experience the Super Bowl there, but it would have been nice to uh, to have been part of that ride, uh, certainly. But we're not here to talk about uh, the past, about past Super Bowls. We're we're here to talk about hopefully the future and getting on uh, the right track towards making it back to the big game. And the draft seems like, on the one hand, yeah, obviously the best way for the Falcons to do that, given their financial uh, limitations. And on the other, it seems like nobody has any clue how the Falcons should approach this draft. Hopefully they do. Um, but you recently wrote a, an article, kind of six trades for, uh, was it six or eight trades? I'm looking at six. the number eight because six. they're six. Thank you. Um, six trades, basically, that that you would like to see uh, in, in the first round of this draft. And the Falcons, you kick things off with, with the Falcons, obviously. They're at number eight. Um, can you explain a little bit why you think it would behoove Atlanta to trade back from a top 10 draft spot. Yeah, I just think they're in a really good spot, which could be a sweet spot for, you know, it, I think it all centers around the fact of if Atlanta's not in on one of these quarterbacks, then I think the best move for them is to trade back. And the way that I put it in the article is they've already got two extra second round picks or they've got, they've got two second round picks and they have two third round picks. So they don't need more capital in this year's draft. But them moving on from Matt Ryan means that this is now a multi-year thing. The Falcons roster is bad. It's very bad. <laughs> it's very devoid of talent, which means that you are going to need multiple drafts in a row to really string together to get the roster where it needs to to compete. And when I look at number eight, if they want a quarterback, take the quarterback. Fine. What Kenny Pickett, Desmond Ritter, Malik Willis... I can't talk teams out of a quarterback. Like they, they clearly <laughs> need, they clearly need one. And if they think their franchise guy is going to be available at number eight, take it. I would advise against it, but there, if, if that's ever on the table, you're never not going to move back. So if they want a quarterback, take one today. If they don't, I think a lot of people look at a lot of other needs that they might have potentially offensive tackle, potentially a big time pass rusher, basically any position on the defense. Actually, now that I bring it up. And of course, wide receiver <laughs> is also the massive one. You're not going to fix that with one pick. Now, if they trade back, you know, there are a couple of trade targets that I see. 17 to the Chargers. You know, the Chargers could get very aggressive if we saw, you know, we saw a lot of the moves that they made earlier this offseason. If I'm the Chargers, why not get even more aggressive, pop up into the top 10, get somebody that you really want, a pass rusher, a Jordan Davis type, an offensive tackle if one of them's still available on the board, whatever it is. Go get aggressive and go make that roster as complete as possible because you're already all in in that regard. The Pittsburgh Steelers sitting at number twenty. Maybe they want to lure up. Maybe they want to go up for a quarterback. 
what Atlanta should be doing, since they already have two second round picks, two third round picks this year, don't invest in getting capital back from this year. Move back to one of those spots. Get yourself a good pass rusher if one's still available or one of the wide receivers, which I think could very well be available at 17, Mm -hmm. at number 20. Somebody that's going to be able to help you. I think you can get a good wide receiver at that spot and get a first round pick and another day two pick next year. Make it happen. Make this trade back something where you go, okay, I'm going to trade back from eight to 17 or 20. I got a bad roster on my hands and I'll still have a first round pick, two second round picks, two third round picks this year. And then next year I'll have two first round picks, two second round. That's how you do it. If and that's that's why, obviously, it's a lot easier said than done. You got to find two to tango. You got to find the right price. Right. But that's yeah. why I said in the article to me it would make a lot of sense if Atlanta traded back. I wrote quite a bit last year talking about how the Falcons should have traded back from four. I love Kyle Pitts. I graduated from the University of Florida. Kyle Pitts is my boy. <laughs> I am the biggest Kyle Pitts fan in the world, and I think he's going to be phenomenal in the NFL. But. Right. I was told that the whole reason why they're not going to trade back from four without drafting a quarterback is because they want to put the best offense around Matt Ryan that they possibly can. Well, fast forward, not even a year. Matt Ryan's (laughs) not even on the team. Okay. I know they couldn't have exactly foreseen exactly what happened with Calvin Ridley and Russell Gage and all of that, but you realize how fragile things are. And so, you know, they could have traded back from number four last year and got themselves another really good player, had multiple first round picks this year. And, they didn't do that. So this is kind of my cry, my plea to maybe do that this year. It's a little bit more obvious that they need more help. They need more premium picks. And so that's honestly what into what went into me writing that part for the Falcons. And it makes a lot of sense. And I, you know, here in Atlanta for years, people have been that that's been a primary option, I think, in a lot of fans' minds because of the the lack of free agency flexibility, they like the notion of, okay, well, let's get more draft picks than to work with. Let's get more of an influx of young players on this roster, what have you. The Falcons, you know, largely have not done that uh, for much of the past decade. But I, I think there could be an argument to be made where, you know, why why do you necessarily want more maybe above average players as opposed to one or two really, really good elite players? But it sounds like what you're saying is, depending on maybe the position that they're targeting in the first round receiver, mm-hmm. you know, we talked about this on, on your podcast, NFL stock exchange. Uh, you know, it's a little bit of a pick your poison type of wide receiver group, but that their talent levels or their upside may kind of be in that same range. So maybe that's a position where they say, you know, the person we're getting at eight may not be very different from the person we're getting at 17 or 20. It may just be a different type of player. And so you're saying that, you know, going that option while then also investing in building up the other parts of your roster with above average players who are better than the players you have now and spreading that capital over two years. So you're not just pulling from the same pot and kind of almost taking away from yourself because you're just, you're only, you've only got that one pool. You've got now two pools to really kind of mix and choose. That's what you're saying. Like this team should do to really jumpstart, I guess, their rebuild, really fan out some of the the players on this roster and bring up the overall floor of talent with this group. Yeah. And and you know, if Kayvon Thibodeau is still on the board, maybe <laughs> you're 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 cool with him and you're taking him you're taking him at eight. And if that's the case, it'd be like, okay, it's fine. You know, if you wanted to find an upgrade at right tackle and and a Charles Cross or an Iki Ukwanu or an Evan Neal or something was still available at eight. Okay, like I'd be down with that too. But I <laughs> yeah. think it's realistic to think that Probably five out of the six top three pass rushers and top three defensive or top three pass rushers and top three offensive tackles are going to be off the board by the time number eight rolls around. 
So if you're sitting there and you're the Falcons and you don't love any of the edge rushers that are left and none of the offensive tackles that are left are good enough for you to upgrade over the right side of the offensive line that you currently have, and you're going to say to yourself, okay, like we'll probably pick a receiver here at number eight. Trade back, like 100% <laughs> trade back. That's a that's a waste of a pick for Atlanta's situation. So obviously, depending on how the board falls, it's not like I'm saying, hey, trade back from eight no matter what. But I really love to see the Falcons make sure that they are picking up the phone, doing their due diligence, getting creative here. Because like we saw with the Philadelphia Eagles, where they had three first round picks this year, and they kind of parlayed that into having two first round picks this year, two first round picks next year, you know, expanding mm-hmm the control over the first round if you will i love when teams are able to do that miami dolphins have been doing that the last couple of years before this year of course without any first round picks anymore but they did that in years past and i loved that part of it i loved being to able to stretch your control and look i mean let's face it will this isn't the best draft class this year it's not right i mean if, if you look at last year's draft class you take the guy who's probably going to get number one overall aiden hutchinson you put him in last year's draft class i mean aiden probably doesn't go until 12 13 like he's probably going mm-hmm. out outside the top 10 outside the top 12 and the guy's going to go number one overall this year so you look at this draft class and you go okay it's not that strong and you know, you don't always want to look to next year and think that the grass is always greener but it, this sounds really harsh but like it can't get worse than this class i mean football <laughs> players are just too talented so right. i know people are like okay well you're just taking a risk on next year too yes but it it's not going to get worse than this class. And instead and teams already have an idea of right? what next year is going to look like. And it might be better. That's the yeah, thing. It's like, right. it, it might be way better. It might be like the year before his class. So, <laughs> you know, it's just, it, that's, that's all the things that kind of go through my head. When I think about the Falcon situation, of course, it's always dependent on who's on the board, every situation like that is. But I think the more simulations that I run, the more I think trading back from eight could be really smart for yeah and it again it like it's you're buying lottery tickets you don't want to buy all of your lottery tickets in one kind of drawing right sure. this is just an op- opportunity for you to maybe get a, a couple more tickets next year when you've got a different a different class a whole different crop there may be different skill sets it may shake out where this could be a deeper draft but that one is really really top heavy and you would love to have two first round picks so yeah i mean this is something that all of these teams are weighing and of course, when you're talking about number eight, because it is such a, a coveted uh, top 10 pick in this draft, positional value obviously is, is a very big talking point because you don't want to, on the one hand, waste that pick on a position that maybe not a lot of teams are, are really gunning for. You could get that player a little bit later just because that's not a marquee spot that teams are going to prioritize. But also... With the number eight pick, you you just want to get players who are going to make an impact. And maybe your best player at a, a lesser position is still going to end up being better than the player at a more coveted position um, who has been bumped up just because that position is so important. So let's take positions just off the board. Who do you think is the most, I guess, talented? Or if you want to name a, a few players, just you know, pound for pound the best player regardless of position kind of in this first round um you know i think when i think of some of the best players in this class at their craft uh, prime Derek stanley comes to mind man if you can guarantee <laughs> that he's healthy i i think that he's unbelievable i don't i'm not so quick to forget the freshman season the sophomore mm-hmm. year wasn't nearly as bad as people talk about i mean especially when you look at that lsu program and how it was just 
basically up in flames behind the scenes. And so I wouldn't be super motivated to play for that program either. That was a sinking ship had the injury this year. And I, I think he's got all the talent in the world, man. I think that he's incredible as long as he's fully healthy. Tyler Linderbaum, the center from Iowa, I think mm-hmm. is another player who, when you say pound for pound, I think that he is absolutely a stud. Jordan Davis, you have to put him up there, the defensive tackle from Georgia, just because I, you and I talked about this when you we, <laughs> we had you on the podcast. You used the word unicorn, and I mean, it makes sense, man. It's just people shouldn't be built like this. <laughs> they really they really should not. So I think that you know he's obviously fantastic as well. I think you got to throw Kyle Hamilton up there. Okay, so what? Yep. He didn't test like Derwin James. I think he's still absolutely fantastic as a player. And then you know, after that, I think there's a lot of players to like, like, I think there's a lot of good players, but those are a handful that I would say, man, I think you're talking pound for pound. I mean, I might throw Trent McDuffie in there too. Now that I'm thinking of it, I absolutely (laughs) loved watching Trent McDuffie from Washington. I think he's an incredibly smart, instinctual player. I think you have a long, long career in the NFL. So those are, those are a couple of the guys that I would say, I'm going to have the highest grades on when my big board's all finalized by draft weekend. Yeah, that's really, it's good to know. A lot of those names, you know, I don't think come as a surprise to people. It's so weird with, uh, you know, the, the Stingley conversation because it happened a little bit with AJ Terrell. I feel like when he was coming out, people were so focused on that last performance against Jamar Chase that they kind of gave it too much credit and too mm-hmm. much credence and and then forgot that, well, this this dude's been starting for a long time for a major program has been in some big, big time games. Maybe let's not discount that. And, and that's the way, you know, Stingley did perform at such an elite level that freshman year that we shouldn't just toss that out the window. And then because it wasn't otherworldly, like he was in year one, that doesn't mean year two was, was horrible and a sign that his best days are, are far behind him. So I, I like all of your picks there. I think with Linderbaum and, and Davis, especially that's kind of where my head was at with this question, because you hear teams say all the time, we want to build from the trenches, right? We want to, we want to dominate in the trenches. And then when mm-hmm. it comes to the guys that actually seemingly are at the, in the heart of those trenches, your interior defensive and, and offensive linemen, those are the guys that seem to slip down draft boards. Why is that? Well, I just think when, you know, you look at, you look at center and I think people believe that you can get a great center all the time. And I think that the closer you get to the interior of the offensive line, people have a tendency to think you you have so much help, right? Yes. You have a guy yeah. to your left and your right. And I think it's those players that are often in one-on-one situations that are the ones that are more coveted. Wide receivers that are outside of the boundary, corners mm-hmm. that are outside of the boundary, edge rushers that are one-on-one with offensive tackles, offensive tackles that are one-on-one with edge rushers. It's those players that the individual traits and skill sets and just overall ability have to shine one-on-one consistently. Those are the things that everybody covets because, yeah, I mean, like you said, like defensive tackles, you know, like you're eating space or whatever. You've got a man to your left and your right, and you've got two linebackers behind at all times. You know, you got help everywhere. And not that Jordan Davis or other interior defensive linemen don't have those one-on-one opportunities. We see that all the time. But it's just often for guys of that mold, centers, true nose tackles on the defensive side, they don't have those one-on-one opportunities where all I got to do is beat this one man and boom, I'm into the backfield. I'm making a play on the football. They just don't have as many of those opportunities as some of those other players do. And I think that that's a big reason why you talk about positional value being so important is because there's often, if they fail, there's a lot of help. Now, 
I think that that improves the floor of a lot of those guys, but I think the strengths of a lot of those guys still shine, don't nearly get as much attention as they deserve. Like Tyler Linderbaum, people are talking about like, okay, he's short and he's got short arms. Okay. (laughs) Throw on the film. I don't know what to tell you. This dude's awesome. This dude's phenomenal. (laughs) He's one of the best run blockers in the class. He's nimble. He's got great core strength, understands pass blocking and how to take help and how to redirect guys and understands angles. And he's just one of the smartest offensive linemen there is from a, from a Royal line of offensive linemen at Iowa. Like, (laughs) what do you, what more do you want from like, Oh, he's got short arms. Okay. So like, I don't He's know, had man. short I, arms the whole time. <laughs> I just think it's getting a little out of control. And then the Jordan Davis stuff, like I get the snap count things and I get the mm-hmm. not being on passing downs. But at the same time, like Georgia's defensive line was also freaking loaded, you know, and they had yeah. Jalen Carter and they had Devontae Wyatt and they had all these other guys. And what Jordan Davis was asked to do, he did it at an elite level. And I think that as we saw in the testing, you know, if you get this guy and look, he shows up at the combine at 340, which is beautiful. If you get this guy close to a playing weight of 335, this is a player that you could play consistently. He's not going to mm-hmm. sit there and be gassed all the time. If you were playing him at 355 and 360, then yeah, the dude's going to be gassed all the time. Take 30 pounds off of him, improve the conditioning. You could do all that kinds of stuff. So I'm on a bit of a rant now because these are just good football players. But yeah, that's kind of what I think about with positional value. You don't want to be, even, even though I say all these things and I'm praising these players, there are times when you can look at positional value and say, this guy's special and he's exactly what we need. We're going to mm-hmm. take him anyways. And there are times when that is the right move, but you just don't want to make a habit of picking guys who have less one-on-one single ability, positional value, non-premium positions, if you will. So that's, that's my whole approach to it is that you got to be able to praise the players when they're still good, but you also have to have the right drafting philosophy and realizing how replaceable they are and and how much one-on-one opportunity, how much help they have, all that kind of stuff. All that goes into it. Yeah, it's all about exposure, right? How exposed are you to uh, potentially making a, a great play for your team or a big negative play? You know, if, right, you're, if, you're, if you're a left yep. tackle, you're out there, you're exposed, you know, and, and if you're a, an edge rusher and you've got no help, you know, you're not running a stunt or a twist or anything, you've got to go win one-on-one, you're exposed. And so, yeah, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. And a lot of these non-marquee positions, it's, it's your foundation, right? You you wanna you wanna set up your foundation to allow these marquee positions to play to their fullest extent. You want your quarterback to be protected. You know, you want to be able to have um, that extra time to allow your downfield routes to develop to maximize somebody like Jamison Williams' speed. And, and so that's where it all complements each other. But I get exactly what you're saying. Where if you just have some of these glue guys and, and no real uh, dynamic players at the the spots that really win you games. Yeah, then then you're just kind of cruising for seven and ten seasons, probably left and right year in and year out. Um, but let's let's quickly flip to the um, most coveted position, the the positional value that is is ranked number one, and that's quarterback. We you touched a little bit on it at the top, um, so we don't have to go too long on it here. But I'm just curious, you know, of these quarterbacks, because while they may not be you know at the top of the first round, it seems like outside of Malik Willis, a little bit again of of a pick your your fighter type of, of quarterback class. Is there any uh, one particular player who you feel like would be the best fit for Atlanta's scheme? I mean, I'd like Desmond Ritter for Arthur Smith's offense. And I think the reason why I would like it is because obviously you'd get hopefully aided by some play action help because Arthur Smith's mm-hmm. been a wizard with that over the last couple of years. And 
I just think that Desmond Ritter is a, a smart quarterback at this point. He's he's probably the most pro-ready quarterback in this class, and he's got a big arm, and he's got nice size. He's got good mobility. You can do a lot of things with him, and he his skill set is reminiscent of Ryan Tannehill. It really is, and I think that you see what he is able to do in Cincinnati's offense, and he goes through reads a lot better than the rest of the quarterbacks in this class. He <laughs> under His mechanics between all the way from his feet through his shoulders and his throwing motion. I mean, it's very clean. It's very fluid. He navigates a pocket very well. He understands pressure. He doesn't panic and things like that. The accuracy is sometimes a little bit of an issue to me, but, you know, I watched a couple of games of of Desmond Ritter, I think, during the season. And I was watching some all 22 of them, and I got through like three or four games, and I'm like, man, there are times when he just misses throws. And I hate (laughs) that because as a quarterback, who has really clean mechanics already for you to miss throws. It makes me think that that's a natural touch issue for you touch on Mm -hmm. passes. And if you're and if your, your mechanics are already very clean, I don't have a lot of faith of, of like where I can improve that. You might just be bad at having touch. Right. But the more I watched Desmond Ritter and somebody told me this during the draft process, they're like, it's as if he needs to calm down at the beginning of games. And I went back and I watched those games and I watched more games and I'm like, you're right. A lot of the misses that I see from him are like at the beginning of the games, first quarter stuff. And it's like he just needs to calm down because once he calms down, (laughs) even sometimes coming out of the half, he'll read, he'll do that again. And when he calms down, he gets into a rhythm and, you know, late third quarter, second quarters, things like that. He puts together some damn good drives and he becomes a really good quarterback. And so, I don't know if it's just a calm down kind of a thing with Desmond Ritter, but I he's he is the most pro-ready guy. I could see a similar mold of what Arthur Smith was able to do with Ronnie Tana, Ryan Tannehill with Desmond Ritter. And so when it comes to fits for Atlanta, I would say that he's probably the best up there. Yeah, I, I mean, there's not there's some similarities there between him and Marcus Mariota a little bit as well. Uh, and so, I mean, you could see it. Um, do you think he'll be there? in the second round or would this be a candidate where if the Falcons knew they maybe liked Ritter at quarterback uh they they trade back and get him in that that 20 to 23 range yeah yeah I know you have me on this podcast so I can answer that question but the the (laughs) answer is I have no idea I I don't know I do not know where Desmond Ritter is going to go I know Malik Mm -hmm. Willis is going to be the first quarterback off the board unless the Carolina Panthers do something crazy and draft Kenny Pickett at six while Malik Willis is still there but basically barring every other team I think Willis (laughs) is going to be the first quarterback off the board I think Pickett's probably going to be the second quarterback off the board and then I think Desmond Ritter is going to be the third quarterback I just don't know where. Like, yeah. if, if if Carolina picks Kenny Pickett and if the Steelers pick Malik Willis somehow somewhere in the draft order, I I don't know. I don't know where Desmond Ritter goes. Like, does he just go, go 32 to the Detroit Lions maybe? Or does somebody pop back into the first round trading with Kansas City or Cincinnati at 30 and 31 to make that happen? I think that's probably more realistic, but... I really don't know. I don't know where his stock is right now. And and it's just it's <laughs> it's so hard to predict this quarterback class outside yeah, of Malik. It really is. It really is. Yeah. Is there, I mean, yeah, I'm I'm trying to it's just like it is such a pick your fighter class, right? And and there's there is some no no prospect is perfect in this class, obviously, but even the little nuances between guys are are different. It's, you know, we'll 
pick your, you're not just picking the traits that you like, you're also kind of picking the batch of flaws that come with it. And some guys, like you said, it can be coached up, it's mechanics, it's things like that. Some are just more inherent, natural traits that you can't really coach. So what do you want to work with there? But Ritter, I mean, Ritter makes makes a lot of sense for all of the reasons that you highlighted. I'm curious outside of him, though, let's say the Falcons decide to just just kind of pass on quarterback in the in the first round. They don't think the value is there. Day two, day three, probably more day two, round two, round three guys that that you think would be worth betting on their upside. I mean, basically, you know, Matt Corral's in there, Sam Howell's maybe in there, but outside of them, there's not really, I mean, like Bailey Zappi came from a really fun offense at Western (laughs) Kentucky, Kentucky. Baptist, but I mean, I don't think he's a guy that you would super invest in. I think it's really just those top five quarterbacks, Malik, Pickett, uh, Desmond Ritter, Sam Howell, Matt Corral, and just however you want to divvy those guys up. I think three are probably going to go in the first round. Like I said, I think it's Malik. I think it's Pickett. I think it's Ritter who go in the first round. And then Howell and, and Corral are going somewhere in this on day two. But I think you could pull all 32 teams in the league and you might have them split 16 to 16, like where they, like who, <laughs> who, who would have one of those guys above the other. So I think that's probably the range which you're looking for these guys, but it's not a strong quarterback at the, the quarterback class at the top and it's also not a deep one so if you're not getting one in the first two rounds which i think that those are probably where those guys are going to go you're basically punting on them and you and you're basically just knowing that you're drafting a backup quarterback at that point do you have any read yet on what the quarterback class will look like next year or is it it still too far out to tell well i mean like you got guys who are potentially going to come out like cj stroud and bryce young tyler van dyke from miami uh, potentially Spencer Rattler. Um, I don't think Caleb Williams isn't eligible, right? He was a true freshman last year. Yeah, I, I think he was a true freshman. Yeah, I don't think he's eligible, but those are four right there. And those are like arm talent quarterbacks, <laughs> right? I mean, like those that yeah. Bryce Young just won the Heisman. Like he's incredible. CJ it's more Stroud's like what we saw last year. It's, it's just guys who have bigger arms. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. No, like Willis has a really good arm. Ritter has a decent arm. Corral has a decent arm. Howell's arm is okay. Pickett's arm, I'm worried about. Zappy's arm, I'm worried about. Like, mm-hmm. it's just not a strong class. There's just not a lot of elite arms. That's why people are talking about Malik Willis, no matter what, going as QB1 in this class, because people just want to bet on the biggest arm in the class. I think next year, you've got some legit live arms that could be coming through. Now, of course, there's a big college football season coming up to see how high they would be regarded when it comes to the NFL draft. but. Yeah, those are four guys off the top of my head, and that's without naming any quarterbacks that could come out of nowhere and have some fun. I mean, we've had, obviously, Burrow the year before. You know, Kyler Murray, when he had his big breakout year, Eddie Pickett last year. You know, you look at it, it happens all the time at this point. So uh, I think that there's also going to be somebody or maybe two people to surprise us, too. All right, let's let's group these last two together because I, I think they're really the positions that are the clearest need. Um, and that's Ed Ru- edge rusher and wide receiver. Uh, okay. And it's, you know, we, you and I have, have talked uh, on both this podcast so far and, and yours at wide receiver for great length. You know, I, I think, uh, I think that wide receiver is a, is a very clear need. There are some good players in this draft. It kind of makes sense with where those players will probably start going and where the Falcons are in this first round. Um, that being said, when the season ended and the Falcons were dead last again in sacks by like a, a, a huge margin, um, I, I sat there and I was like, what are we doing? I felt 
I felt a little bit like Will Ferrell in Zoolander, like I'm taking crazy pills because why not? Like this isn't a bad edge rusher group, especially kind of near that front of the first round. It's better than it's been in a couple of years outside of maybe the elite first guy who's going to go off the board first. But the Falcons kind of there's been no smoke around them with with edge rusher. And maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that means they're locked in on edge rusher. But both of those positions, which one do you think will be set up best for if the Falcons are going to stay at eight and they want to get an impact player at one of those positions? How would you prioritize those for this team? And at what spot do they have a better chance to get a day one impact guy, but also maybe a, a future pro bowler at the position? Well, I'd go edge rusher 100% just because, you know, it's, it's, it's almost just math at that point. I have a theory where you as a team will have the opportunity to sign or draft a top wide receiver every other year. Every other year, you will have the opportunity. I mean, like, look at I how agree. wide receiver just shook up in free agency <laughs> and in trade. Yep. And, and like, we're seeing so many deep, great wide receiver classes come through every year after year after year. You are guaranteed, no matter who you are, no matter where you pick in the draft, you are guaranteed to have an opportunity to sign a high-impact wide receiver, either a wide receiver two or a wide receiver one, every other year. So with the eighth <laughs> overall pick, if you can go up and get yourself a really great edge rusher, uh, edge rusher like if Jermaine Johnson is still there at eight. I'd so you like Jermaine, him You like him that high? I would take Jermaine Johnson over any of the wide receivers if I'm Atlanta. Yes. Yes. I would take Why Jermaine is that? Johnson there. I mean, I, th- well, I think, again, it's it's kind of goes back to position, positional scarcity. Like that's mm-hmm. that's a part that goes into it. I'm I'm playing the math a little bit there, but I also think Jermaine Johnson is just a damn good four three defensive end. Like I just think he's a really good player. I watched his tape and I thought, okay, what we have here is a really dominant, strong run defender, great hands, good motor, does everything well for you. Maybe we'll sometimes give you flashes of pass rush, really great push pull, knows how to dominate, get his hands in the right position. Like I just thought he was a really clean, great base four three defensive end. And then I watched him at the Senior Bowl. And the coaches told him, hey, this is a one-on-one drill. Pin your ears back, beat this dude, get to the quarterback. And he, rep after rep after rep, he dominated so much so that he didn't even practice the third day. So that tells (laughs) me that this dude is a lot closer to being a really good pass rusher than I originally thought. And I think he's a total package. I think Jermaine Johnson is a top 15 kind of a talent. And if you are asking me to pick between Jermaine Johnson and anyone in this wide receiver class for Atlanta... I'm picking Jermaine Johnson because I know I can get a wide receiver at some point later. Like when you look at the two, the Falcons, two second round picks, like, mm-hmm. you know who you could have there? Maybe a George Pickens, maybe a Sky Moore, maybe a Jahan Dotson, one of those guys. Edge rusher? Who, who's going to be on the board at that point? I think Arlen yeah, so keep, is probably going to be keep off the following board. following that, that line of thought. What does the depth look like with these two? two groups again like depth like the depth for wide receiver is a lot deeper than than it is for edge rusher like if you could if you were going to tell me that arnold Ibikade or um nick benito oh, or, or somebody like well, that well i'm not i'm not the biggest nick benito fan but who no no absolutely boy mafe <laughs> thank you i'm an idiot boy mafe <laughs> arnold Ibikade, drake jackson like drake if you jackson, could guarantee yeah. me any of those guys would still be on the board at the beginning of the second round Okay, maybe it's a little bit different of a conversation, but even then, I'd, I'd still, I think Boyamafe is probably going somewhere in the back end of the first round. We've heard that Arnold Ibikade could as well. The NFL just doesn't seem to be as high as I am on Drake Jackson, so maybe they're not even considering that. I'd rather have Jermaine Johnson and Sky Moore I love than Sky I Moore. would than I would rather have 
uh, Garrett Wilson and Maje Sanders or Nick Benito or mm-hmm. something like that. That I, I would rather have it the other way around. And I just think you can get wide receiver basically anywhere any year. So use your top more premium picks on edge rusher. Go take that dart throw to the dartboard on edge rusher more than wide receiver. I completely agree with that philosophy. 100%. I've been looking almost at receiver the way that we looked at running back probably a decade ago, kind of just there was such a such a supply and demand kind of imbalance. The supply mm-hmm. just so far outweighed the demand and we're not there yet with receiver and I don't know if we're ever going to get there just because of the the importance of the passing game in the league. But yeah, I mean you you look around there's receivers everywhere except for here in Atlanta, but yeah, like <laughs> it's there it's were not, there were last, there, there last were. year there was Kyle Fitz it was Calvin Ridley there was yeah, Russell Gage there were it took the doomsday scenario for, right, for Atlanta to lose right. all of its wide receivers which you know goes to show just how which is also kind of why it's dumb when all of the you know Bleacher reporter whatever will be like take a look at the Bengals wide receiver skill group and it's like eyes emoji and and all these former first round picks. it's just kind of like yeah but what team doesn't can't, couldn't make its version of that graphic. Um, but yeah, I think I I did a mock draft and I took I, it was right after our conversation. I took Jordan Davis and I was just having real buyer's remorse, which is dumb because I got I got all into that positional uh, value thing uh, as well. And I was like, Jordan Davis, today, am I an idiot? And no, I don't think I am. But I did Drake London kind of just to go with an opposites thing. Mm-hmm. And I worked myself into a corner because, you know, to your point, when you get to that second round, even though they've got two second round picks, the impact just is not there. And so it's like, sure, I'm going to get maybe a year one rotational rusher who could get me six sacks. That's not what the Falcons need. Falcons need a guy who can come in here, be the guy, let everybody play off of him. And you've got me having to go look back at, uh, at some Jermaine Johnson tape because you sold the hell out of him, man. Right. And and I think that you just got to like, shoot, I'm even thinking in, my, thinking in my head here, like if you drafted Jordan Davis at eight, and then if one of those edge rushers happen to be there, you're drafting one of Boye, Mafe, uh, Arnold Libicade, or Drake Jackson, then you can still, I think, in the second round, maybe you double up on wide receiver. Pick John Mechie. You pick Alec Pierce. Then all of a sudden your haul is you've got a unicorn of a defensive uh, <laughs> defensive tackle. Yeah. You've got a good speed, edge, athletic edge rusher. And then you got your two wide receivers to start building things out. You know that, mm-hmm. okay, you've got maybe your wide receiver two, wide receiver three on the roster. Next year, you're going to go draft your wide receiver one. And then all of a sudden, you have all the guys that you want. It's a <laughs> multi-year rebuild for the Falcons anyways. And I think they have to have that approach. Just because wide receiver is by far just a glaring need for them does not mean you have to take it with your first pick. You've still got to attack these things with the premium position order that you would want to. And I think that edge rusher would would be a much better investment at eight than a wide receiver. Well, you know, from from your mouth to Terry Fano's ears. Uh, but I this has been awesome, dude. I mean, multi-year rebuild. It makes perfect sense. Um, I think you did a really good job of, of illustrating where the strengths and weaknesses are for this team in particular. So I, I can't thank you enough, Trevor, for, uh, for hopping on and, and joining me. Appreciate it, Will. Anytime, man. You got anything uh, to, to let our listeners know about before I let you get out of here? All my shenanigans on Twitter, at Tampa Bay Trey. <laughs> uh, all my article content over at PFF.com. And then all of my NFL draft thoughts three days a week over at the NFL Stock Exchange podcast. All right. Thank you so much, man. Uh, yeah. 
you got a little bit of a grind here until the end of the month, but hopefully after that, you'll be able to get some rest. I'm excited, man. It's the best time of the year, no doubt. All right. Thanks again. That's our show for this week. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thanks again to Trevor for stopping by and uh, you know really going into great detail about this year's draft class, kind of why we might see the Falcons do some different things. I thought it was really interesting what he said about the multi-year outlook, uh, you know, particularly his reasoning for maybe trading back, accumulating some of those picks. While I, I'm a big fan of just go get really, really talented players, not necessarily. I used to think, you know, that shotgun approach was best, but I don't know if it's worked out <laughs> the way that the, that the teams who really went hard after that type of you know, money ball approach, if they loved how it worked out for them. Um, you know, I'm specifically thinking of the Browns, uh, but I, you know, I know there are a lot of other teams who have done that and it's hard to draft well. Uh, but you know, some, sometimes the best players in a, in a class, you have a pretty good sense for, for where they could land. And I, I just like, you know, stockpiling some of these top 10 picks that the Falcons have been, you know, unfortunate enough to have over the last couple of years, but filling your roster with some of these guys, I, I don't hate it. So while it makes a lot of sense and, and Trevor explained, you know, for the Falcons to look at this in a kind of two, three year span and, and maybe spread out some of their picks to not have all the eggs in, in one basket. I think that makes a lot of sense. If there's a guy that they think is going to be a game changer there at eight. And it, it sounds like Trevor agrees with me on this. Just take that guy, <laughs> please. So um, but as I said in the intro, we're going to have a lot more of these talks over the next couple of weeks, next few podcasts. So stay tuned for that. Today's episode is presented uh, by Bet Online. As always, you guys already know that. But please like, subscribe, rate, review, uh, tell your friends, let them know that if you know if they want to get some information about the draft uh, over the next few weeks, if they want to learn about you know what the Falcons might do, point them in our direction. Happy to always get some new listeners. There's room on board for everyone. Um, so that'll do it for today's podcast. Thank you guys again for listening, and take care. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.